We're so thankful once again to have the opportunity to come to God's Word and study for a little while this evening, and it's good to see each of you on this cold night that uh, reminds us that uh, there are four seasons in the South, and uh, winter is right upon us. But I'm glad that you've braved the cold of the night and and would that you would continue to pray for us in the time that we have together in God's Word. I'd like to title our study tonight, Peter's Message, on the day of Pentecost, Peter's Message. And I'd like to uh, begin with a, a quotation that I wrote down from John MacArthur. He said, The power of the church for her external work is proportionate with the internal power of God within her. We cannot distribute loaves and fishes out of empty baskets. I, I thought that was a great quote, and I wanted to share it with you because it really introduces the concept of why the Acts of the Apostles is, is so significant and important for the church in our day. Because, as we said last time we were together, the Acts of the Apostles or the Acts of the Holy Spirit through the Apostles is like a bridge between the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and the rest of the Bible. Because it explains how that in a period less than 30 years, the church would expand to the farthest regions of the Roman Empire. I mean, this is before TV, this is before radio, this is before cell phones and mass communication, computers, and all of the means by which we today have to, to impact the whole world. And yet God used them in a mighty way, but we need to remember something. A lot of times we think about the early church being superheroes and superhuman beings, different in so many ways than us. But I want you to realize that they were ordinary men and women that God used in an extraordinary way. We today depend upon the same power of the Holy Spirit as the early church did, the first century church, the primitive church, the first of the kind. We know through the scripture that Jesus established the church in his own personal ministry in Matthew 16, 18. He said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. He built the ship of Zion. He facilitated everything that she would need to sail through time. And in Acts chapter 2, you're finding the wind of the Holy Spirit coming into the sails of Zion. And today we still are under that same influence. We're also going to be mindful tonight that in Acts chapter 10, the same phenomenon is going to occur among Gentile believers. It's called the Gentile Pentecost. And I think it's important for us to keep those two in mind because there's similarities and yet distinctions. The Feast of Pentecost was so named because it occurred 50 days after the Passover. 50 days after the Passover. Now what happened on the last Passover? Uh, in our context, Jesus was crucified. He was condemned by the Sanhedrin court. 
by the temple guards, by the generation that witnessed the day of Pentecost events that we're going to study tonight. We need to keep that in mind. We can't detach the phenomenon of Acts chapter 2 from the crucifixion that occurred 50 days before. It was interesting to my mind, as we talked about last time, how that Jews out of all these various uh, tribes and countries came back to Jerusalem to observe this particular feast. And when they heard their mother tongue, the, the, the tongue or the language that they were born in, being spoken by these uneducated, unlearned Galileans, they knew something powerful was going on. How can this be that we hear the gospel in our own language? in the country that we came from. How is that possible? It's impossible with men, but it's possible with God. All things are possible with God. And of course, it's natural for them to ask in verse 12, What meaneth these things? What does it mean? What is happening in our very midst? What is God saying to us? But there were, in verse 13, others that mocked, saying, These men are full of new wine. Now, there's always going to be those two groups, aren't there? There's always going to be those groups that are seeking the true purpose and meaning of the movement of God, and those that stand on the outside and just mock it, make fun of it. Now, we want to pick up our study tonight in verse 14, but there's something that keeps coming back to me. There was something unique that happened during this feast that I think has more of a significance than we think. As we study Leviticus 25, uh, Leviticus chapter 23, verses 15 through 21, we find that the high priest was to take two leavened loaves of bread. Now remember, during the Passover time and the Passover feast, it was the feast of unleavened bread. Unleavened bread was what they were partaking of for seven days. But at this particular time, God commanded his high priest to take two bread loaves with leaven and present them before the Lord. And I believe that there's more in that than we can even begin to describe or understand. Because I believe that it's pertaining to the believers among the Jews and the Gentiles being brought together. I find in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 17, Paul said, For we being many are one bread... And one body, for we are all partakers of that one bread. To me, Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 10 is an appropriate picture of these two loaves being held by our high priest, Jesus Christ, molded into one body. And that's the mystery of the church. The mystery of the church is that it would be open not only to the Jew, but also to the Gentile. And that access to the Father 
would be given to those that were not natural descendants of Abraham, but were spiritual descendants by virtue of the new birth. So I think that that has an implication in what actually occurred and why the Holy Spirit came at this particular feast. In verse 14, we read, But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, Ye men of Judah. Now, this is, he's speaking to Jews. These are the, the Jewish people. A Jewish message, if you will. And all ye that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you and hearken unto my words. Now, I want to underscore something. If you don't mind, I want to understand that this is the same Peter that denied the Lord Jesus three times just a, just a few days ago. This is, this is the same Peter that when the Lord looked upon him in that, uh, in that court of Caiaphas and saw Peter denying that he wept bitterly he went out and wept bitterly he was repentant that that same peter that says i'll tell you what you know i've blown it and i'm no good and there's no way god could ever use me again and i'm just going back to fishing this is the same peter but it's the same peter that jesus spoke to and restored him lovest thou me more than these <laughs> remember peter was the one that bragged about loving christ more than anybody else i love you more than these guys do i mean jesus these guys are wimps i'm going to stand strong and i'm going to stand firm, and i'm going to defend you with all my might because i'm peter because of what i can do what i know and my own ability and jesus says oh simon before the cock crows this night, you're going to deny me three times. Peter said, no way. To put it in my terminology, no way, Jose. That ain't going to happen. Now these other wimps are going to let you down, but I'm not going to let you down. I'll go to prison with you. I'll even go to death. Ah, oh, Peter, you don't know. You're leaning on your own strength. You, you just don't understand, son. You're going to deny me. And that very night, he denied him three times. But oh, wasn't it wonderful when Jesus would restore him with this one question, do you love me? That's what he looks for. He's not looking for uh, great skill. He's not looking for... Um, outward success he's not looking for the things that most people look for in a leader but he's looking for somebody that learned from his failure that's who he'll call to be a leader it's no accident that it's Peter that stands up Peter's not hiding out Peter's no longer denying He's going to stand up in front of the crowd that condemned Jesus to death. Remember, these events are taking place very close to the Temple Mount, very in the city of Jerusalem itself. 
These events are being witnessed by the Sanhedrin. The very Jews that cried out, crucify him, crucify him. But Peter's not afraid, is he? He's lost his fear. <laughs> he's not afraid of men or demons. Peter stands up and he's going to speak out loud and boldly in, because he's been empowered by the Holy Spirit. Don't, don't you see that's the difference? He's been empowered by a power that's greater than himself. And he's uh, beckoning the people to hear his words. In verse 15, For these are not drunken as ye suppose. Now who are the these? These are the church members. These are the 120 that were gathered in one place with one purpose, with one accord, waiting for the promise of the Holy Spirit that Jesus said in Luke chapter 24, verse 49, Tarry ye in Jerusalem till ye be endued with power from on high. They're waiting for that promise. That promise comes, and now they're filled with this Holy Spirit, and now they're bold witnesses for the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and, and uh, Peter is among them, and he's a leader among them. And he says, these church members are not drunken as ye suppose, seeing it is but the third hour of the day, nine o'clock in the morning. <laughs> They're not drinking in the morning time. They wouldn't do that uh, normally, especially at the time of a feast. They wouldn't be doing that. Verse 16, he's going to draw their attention to what they uh, are acquainted with the Old Testament promises, the Old Testament prophecies concerning the time of the Messiah. He says he's going to go to Joel. He could have gone to any of the prophets. Did you know that? He, he could have gone to any of the prophets in the Old Testament, but he chose Joel. And he says, um, this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. And this is what he quotes from the book of Joel. Um, and it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God. Now underscore that last days there. Somebody says, do you think we're in the last days? Well, we've been in the last days for 2,000 years. Did you know that? The last days began actually at the time of the crucifixion from that time up until the end of the church age. Those are the last days. But particularly, I, I think he's referring to the last days of the uh, Jewish economy or the, uh, uh, the time before the temple itself was destroyed in Jerusalem. These last days, as it were. He says, God said in these last days, I will pour out, out of my spirit. Notice the capital S there. Recognizing the Spirit as the third person of the Trinity. The Spirit is God. The Father is God. Jesus is God. And they're one. He says, uh, I will pour out my Spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see vi visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And on my servants and on my handmaidens, I will pour out in those days of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. I want you to notice the word pour there. P-O-U-R. Pour. 
pour. In the Greek language, that's echel, echel. And it means to shed forth, to shed forth, to indwell, to fill fully, to control or enable. This is the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. It's enabling. Here's the power, the dunamis, the dynamite of God that is going to descend. Good to see you, Brother Pastor. Nobody's going to notice that you're late. But anyway, here, here we are in Acts chapter 2, and we're, we're looking at Peter's message, and, and Peter is beginning with this uh, prophecy from the Word of God. I, 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 I'm so inspired by that. Because, you know, Peter, Peter's going to draw their attention not to himself. He's going to draw their attention to what God said. Now that's a true servant. That, that's a true minister. A true minister is always going to point God's people to what God said. And, and it's inspiring to me that he would quote this uh, Old Testament prophet and he would connect it to the events that they were then experiencing. And brothers and sisters, I think it's important for us to do in our generation when we're, to, uh, when we're asked questions about what do you think about Israel and Hamas and the Problems over there. It, it, does that have any biblical significance? Well, yes, it does. It, it absolutely does. I believe it connects to a lot of the, uh, the, the prophecies that refer to Magog and Gog and, and the end times. All God is doing is speaking to our, our, our generation. And He's telling us it's not going to be too much farther down this road before Jesus comes again. Hallelujah. I, I see that, and, and, and I'm able to share that with people. And I get a joy. There's a joy in my heart when I'm able to point people to the Word of God because what God said would happen. And Peter's doing that on this occasion, and he's no longer afraid of being killed. He's no longer afraid of being beaten or imprisoned. He's not afraid of that at all. He's not afraid of the devil. He's standing up and boldly speaking these things and saying this is what God's word said through his prophet Joel in the old covenant. He says there's a day coming when my spirit is going to be poured out in such a way as your young men and your old men are going to dream dreams and see visions and your daughters are going to have the spirit of prophecy. Very unusual time. And I will show wonders, he says in verse 19. I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath. Blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before that great and notable day of the Lord come. This is a prelude, as it were, to the, the discourse that God is going to bless to impact the hearts of His people in that large multitude that's gathered. Not everybody's going to believe what Peter said. Not everybody's going to believe what Peter says today. But there's always some. There's some whose hearts God opens to receive the truth, whose eyes God opens to see the beauty of it. To me, this is an important part of our study of Peter's message. Peter is not depending upon himself or his personality or his uh, communicating skills to convince the people. He's depending on the Holy Spirit. And this is what he says in verse 21. 
And it shall come to pass. This is what Joel said. God said this. It shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Shall be saved. Somebody says, well, that sounds like an Armenian text to me. Well, no, it's God's word. God said that. Whosoever, whether you're a Jew or a Gentile, whosoever, whether you're a man or a woman, whosoever, whether you're a, a boy or a girl, it doesn't matter, white or black, American or African, whosoever believes in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ from the heart is going to experience salvation. Now that's what God said. I know, I, I, I remember one of the questions that came up in our first trip to Africa. You know, they, you know we preached on the doctrines of grace. And, 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 of course, we'd have the question and answer sessions. And one of the big questions that we'd always get is, Well, if you believe that God chose a people before time began, and Jesus died for their sins, and they're going to be heaven, and, and the Holy Spirit is going to regenerate them, uh, uh, why in the world would you preach the gospel? I mean, what's the purpose? Why, why would you go through that? You know, it comes up every time, doesn't it, Brother Nathan? It, it comes up every time. Because in our natural mind, in our natural reasoning, we're saying, well, you know, that's a good point. Why would we even waste the time to preach the gospel? And then we always answer the same way. One of the things we bring out is that the gospel call is universal. You know, if the elect had a big E on their forehead, we wouldn't waste time with those other folks. But we don't know who the elect are any more than Peter did. Peter was not uh, depending upon his insight in order to make the gospel he was preaching successful. He was dependent on God. And he knew something. He knew that God's word will not return to him void. God's word, when it's preached, is going to accomplish the very purpose for which it was intended. That's the way he preached his sermon, and that's the way we want to preach today. We don't know who the elect are. We don't know the hearts of people. We can't describe it. We can't uh, declare it. But we're just commanded to preach the gospel and leave the consequences to God. And that's the example we have here. And there's five major points that he's going to prove, he's going to use to prove that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. There's five major points. Now, there's a lot of sub-points in here, a lot of rabbit trails we'd love to go down with you. But let me be in the time constraints, let me be as specific as I know how to be. We're going to begin with verse 22. And the first point that he's going to make is Christ's person and life revealed resurrection power. Now remember, they didn't believe in the resurrection. They didn't understand the resurrection. They didn't, uh, uh, they didn't accept the teaching that there was a resurrection. There were a lot of Sadducees in the crowd. You know, if you don't believe in the resurrection, that's why they're sad, you see. Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection. And a lot of these Jews were convinced that Jesus was dead. 
he was dead and buried and we're through with him and, and uh, we're going to forget about him in no time at all. But uh, the Apostle Peter is going to stand up and he's, he's testifying to the, the, the reality of Christ and, and the life and the, perp, uh, the person of Christ demonstrated he had that power. Ye men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God, approved, uh, displayed, showed, certified, Approved of God among you by what means? By miracles, wonders, and signs which God did by Him in the midst of you as ye yourselves also know. Why would He put that in there? Because certainly there were individuals in that congregation that had experienced healing. There were people there that had experienced the healing power of Christ. No doubt. Now, what's interesting to me is that when you study the life and ministry of Jesus Christ, everywhere he went, he had resurrection power. I believe he demonstrated that when he interrupted that funeral uh, procession of the widow woman who had one son. And remember, they were carrying the coffin out of the city and Jesus came and touched the coffin and said, uh, young man, arise. Remember that? Can you imagine how many people fainted when he sat up in that casket? Said, hey, mom, what's going on? Huh? And, and later he was called uh, to the side of a young maiden, a, a young girl that had passed away. And he whispers, Talitha, arise, young maiden. And she arose. In John chapter, 10, uh, chapter 11, he raised Lazarus from the dead. You, you know the story. Lazarus, come forth. What was he doing? He was demonstrating his power over death. And in his own ministry, he says in John chapter 10, verses 27 and 28, he says, I have power to raise from the dead. I have that power. I have that ability. Um, Greater love hath no man than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. And if I lay down my life, I have power to raise it up again. That's what he said. So Jesus is just uh, bearing witness to the fact that he is the Messiah. He has resurrection power. And, and, and uh, uh, it's interesting to me that Peter is picking up on that as the first primary point. By miracles, wonders, and signs that many of you have witnessed. What Jesus did in His ministry was not normal, was not natural. It was supernatural. And, and, they, and many of these people knew it, as ye also know. Him, verse 23, is a very important theological verse. See, because a lot of people misunderstand the sovereignty of God. They, they, they look at it like a, a deist, kind of. That God just winds up the world and like a 24-day a, a clock and sets it in motion and never interrupts or intervenes in any way. That's, I'm telling you, Benjamin Franklin was kind of that, that type of person. But that's not the God of the Bible. Listen to what he says in verse 23. Him, Christ, being delivered by the determinate counsel... 
In other words, a council that determines an end. By the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, you have with, uh, taken and with wicked hands crucified and slain. Wow, what an indictment. It doesn't sound like a woke gospel to me, does it? To you? I mean, he's just declaring it the way it is. He's declaring it the way it should be understood. That Jesus Christ was delivered into the hands of wicked men according to God's purpose and God's sovereign plan and, and power to redeem His people. But yet, the people that killed Jesus, that murdered Him, are accountable. They're responsible for their deed. The Father just allowed them to do what they already intended to do. That's what they were in their hearts they wanted to do. And God didn't prevent it because it accomplished His purpose. And brothers and sisters, when I look at it, my heart grieves over what's going on in Israel today with Hamas and Hezbollah and Iran and all of those wicked people. Um, my heart grieves over that, but I'm telling you on the authority of God's Word, there's a sovereign purpose for it. And God is going to be glorified through it. God is going to be glorified through it. And I trust in that. But he says, you have taken and with wicked hands uh, crucified and slain. Here's the great indictment that Peter makes. But notice verse 24. Whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible. You see that? Did you see that? It was not possible that he should be holden of it. It wasn't possible that he should stay in the grave. Somebody says, aren't you glad that those angels were strong enough to move that stone out of the way to let Jesus out? No, sir. No, sir, that's not what happened at all. Jesus didn't need those angels to move that stone. He just he could walk through the stone, see, just like he did the door uh, behind which the scared-to-death disciples were assembled. He he didn't require that. The reason the angels rolled the stone away was not to allow Jesus out, but to allow Peter and John in, to allow people in to see the truth that his body was no longer there. Peter's, Peter was a witness to that. Oh, I'm getting ahead of myself. But he says, Whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, of death, because it was not possible that he should be a, a holden of it. His resurrection testified to the truth that he was the Messiah. There's Peter's first point. He, his resurrection bore witness to the truth that he was the Messiah. The next main point is Peter uses the Old Testament predictions of the resurrection, especially quoting David. Listen to this. In verse 25, well, actually it goes through 25 through 31, but let's step through it. For David speaketh concerning him, uh, concerning Christ, uh, because David was uh, a prophet. David wrote the Psalms. David was used of God to point the Old Testament saints to Christ, or the true King of Judah. He says this, he, he, he quotes this in, in uh, 
uh, Psalm 16, 8 through 11. He says, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is on my right hand that I should not be moved. Therefore did my heart rejoice and my tongue was glad. Moreover also my flesh shall rest in hope. Now watch, watch verse 27. Because, why is my flesh going to rest in hope? Because thou wilt not leave my soul in hell or the grave. Neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. You see, the body of Jesus Christ uh, wasn't worm-eaten. The body of Jesus Christ didn't return to dust, you see. Uh, he's quoting David's specific prophecy of the resurrection of the Messiah that was to come. And in that context, Peter is rejoicing, saying, We have seen Him. We have seen Him. We've known Him. We've handled Him with our hands. We've eaten at His table. We know that uh, for a fact that this is the truth. What David saw a thousand years ago, it was a thousand B.C., came true in our generation. <laughs> How mighty... How mighty must have that impacted these people. David's prophecy was concerning Jesus Christ himself. Because thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Thou hast made known to me the ways of life. Thou shalt make me full of joy with thy countenance. Now watch verse 29. Men and brethren, let me freely speak to you. Underline that word freely. Because this is a converted man. This is someone that has a deep understanding of reality of who Christ really was. And he was someone that uh, not only loved Christ. I believe he always loved him. I, I, I really do. I, I, and I, I believe that he's the one that took the sword and, uh, against that high priest servant's ear named Malchus. Of course, he was aiming for his head, but he missed and hit his ear, you know. And Jesus put the ear back on. Peter learned something, not only about himself, but he learned something about Jesus. He learned that Jesus doesn't give up on us, even when we give up on ourselves. He learned that Jesus was truly the Messiah that all of the Old Testament Scripture bore witness to. He understood that now, that in a way that he didn't before. So he stands up and he says, I want to freely speak to you. He's not bound by fear. He's not bound by ignorance. He's not bound by his own individual weakness. He's free. And what did Jesus say? When you know the truth, the truth shall make you what? Free. He was experiencing that freedom on this occasion. Let me freely speak unto you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his sepulcher, his grave, is with us unto this day. In other words, since the tomb of David was well known to them, Peter assured them that David could not have been referring to himself in that prophecy, but he was referring to the coming Messiah, which Jesus of Nazareth was the only one that met that criteria. You see how 
how this sermon is playing out. You know, first, he says Christ's own person and ministry, his life revealed resurrection power, but then the, all the Old Testament predictions of the resurrection pertain to the Messiah were fulfilled in Jesus. And here specifically is David's prophecy. Hallelujah. Verse 30, he says, Therefore, being a prophet, David was a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne. Now that's an important verse. Now you understand why Jesus had to be born in Judea. Why Jesus had to be born in Bethlehem, the city of David. Why it was necessary for both Joseph and Mary to be of the lineage of King David. Both of them were. Every aspect of Christ's life was fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. And Peter's drawn from that in this the connection. In verse 31, he seeing this before spoke of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That his soul was not left in hell, neither his flesh did his flesh see corruption. Oh, powerful. Verse 32 is the third point. This Jesus hath God raised up, whereof we all are witnesses. This isn't something we believe by hearsay. This is something that we witnessed up close and personal. All of the apostles were eyewitnesses of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that included Matthias, by the way, the twelfth, the one that replaced Judas. That, that included him. He had had to, or he couldn't have been an apostle. See, see, that's the criteria for an apostle. He had to be a witness of the ministry of Jesus Christ. He had to be a witness of his death, burial, and resurrection. Nobody in our generation fits that criteria. So when you hear somebody say, well, we've got an apostle down here. No, the, no, you don't. Not with the same authority as the biblical apostles. No, you don't. Because you don't fit the qualification. I've used that a, many a time. Verse 33. We're going to go into point four. I've got to hurry up. Point four is the, exalt the exaltation or ascended glory of Jesus Christ as the enthroned king. Listen to what he says in verse 33. Therefore, therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted. Now stop right there and think about this just quickly for a minute. Why did he ascend to the right hand? Why was it such an important thing for him to be on the right hand? Because the right hand is the position of authority and dignity. The right hand is, is, the, is the most important uh, position that he could have taken. And he's on the right hand of who? Of God the Father. I mean, he's got some dignity. He's got some position. He's got some power. Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted, and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he hath shed forth this which you now see and hear. He is declaring... The exaltation and ascended glory of Jesus Christ. He's, he's making a declaration. 
that the very fact that the Spirit of God came upon them on this occasion is proof positive that Jesus Christ is Messiah. Because Jesus said, if I go away, I will send another comforter. Remember John 14, 26. I will send another comforter. Uh, and he will guide you into all truth and bring to remembrance all the things that I have taught you. Uh, brothers and sisters, the, the authentic nature of the presence of the Holy Spirit is what testified to the reality that Christ is risen. And I'm going to say something here that I've been thinking about a lot today. The fact that you and I are here believing in Jesus Christ as the resurrected and reigning Savior testifies to that reality. We're testifying to the reality that we believe in the resurrected and reigning Savior Jesus Christ because we're a part of His church. I got a lot of blessing out of that today. Thinking about that. Verse 34, For David is not ascended into the heavens, but he saith himself, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand until I make thy foes thy footstool. The Lord said unto my Lord. Now let me show you what that means. If you, in fact, did you notice the KJV? Did you notice that the first Lord is all uppercase? The Lord said unto my Lord, capital L, little O-R-D. I love the KJV. So honest. He's quoting it that way on purpose. Because that's the way David wrote it. L-O-R-D capitalized, speaks of Yahweh. Here is the Father, as it were. And the Father said unto my Lord, Kurios, my Lord, Messiah, sit thou here at my right hand till I make all thine enemies thy footstool. See, that's, that, that's making that distinction between the Father and the Son. But it's showing who the Lord is. The Lord is not David. The Lord is Jesus Christ. So Peter's pointing to Christ using the words of David. Isn't that powerful? And then the fifth and last point tonight. Therefore. Anytime you see the therefore, you ought to ask yourself a question. What is that therefore, therefore? Therefore. Because Christ's person and life revealed resurrection power. Therefore, because the Old Testament predicted the re resurrection of Jesus Christ the Messiah. Therefore, because the apostles were eyewitnesses to the resurrected Savior. Therefore, because of the coming of the Holy Spirit as evident proof that Jesus is still alive. Therefore... Let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus, whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. You see, here is uh, the punchline. Here is the, the closing argument in the message of Peter. 
and it revolves around the perfection of Jesus Christ. Notice that. He is both Lord and Christ. He's not only your Savior tonight, not only your minister tonight, but He's also your King, the one that rules over your life. Now, next time we get together, we're going to study our response to that message. But tonight, let's close in a word of prayer and just ask God to, to, to make Peter's message